0: The scripture this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. Hear the word of the Lord. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Zeta in Galilee, with the request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, My father will honor the one who serves me. This is God's word.
1: Amen. Good morning. It is such a joy to uh, worship with you. It's been many years since I have been here. I think I was here maybe uh, 10 years ago, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great gift to be uh, back uh, so many years later. Um, I want to, before we even jump in uh, and look at the, the scripture passage, I want to uh, thank you for all the ways that you uh, support uh, uh, our church and all the work that we have been doing in Brooklyn. It is a great gift to come down here uh, to be uh, celebrated and to uh, share in your enthusiasm for what uh, we are doing and the ways that you are uh, generous uh, with your lives, with, uh, um, with, your, um, with your hope and your faith in what God is doing through us, it is a gift. I so much want to bring my family down here. I want to bring my entire church down here so that they can uh, worship with you and just uh, um, receive the hospitality that uh, that Matt and I get to receive uh, when we are down here. So thank you um, uh, so much uh, for that. This morning I want to look at this passage from uh, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter uh, 12. This is a, a passage that's been on my mind a lot. Uh, for my congregation in Park Slope as we're uh, always thinking through uh, what is God, who is God calling us to be, what are we supposed to be doing uh, year and year, uh, year after year, and, and what, should, what should our vision be for the next five uh, and ten years uh, and beyond. And so it's, it's this passage that uh, I'm uh, constantly drawn to, and so I want to share it with you um, for what it might mean Um, share a little bit of what it means for us, but also um, for you as well uh, as a congregation. And what draws me to this passage where Jesus in verse 24 says it's going to produce many seeds, Uh, other translation says it bears much fruit. This hope that that we will bear fruit. And when I think of bearing fruit, I think of productivity. I'm a little bit of a productivity geek. I'm not very productive. I'm just saying I like stuff that promises that it's going to make me productive. So I have lots of apps that are all the latest productivity apps that are going to help me manage my time and manage my day and my to-do lists. Uh, I like to read biographies about people who are really productive, hoping that if I learn some of their strategies, if they get up at 4 in the morning, maybe I'll get up at 4 in the morning, get everything done by 8 a.m., never really happens. I love to think about productivity, and I love uh, to, to, to find all sorts of ways that I can uh, bring some of, uh, some of their practices into my life. The irony, of course is that I spend so much time thinking about productivity and playing with apps and uh, reading this stuff that uh, oftentimes it gets in the way of actually being productive. That's for another day. That's a different uh, sermon. But so much of, uh, you don't have to be a productivity geek like me uh, to be thinking in terms of impact and and what our lives mean and how we can uh, affect the world uh, around us. It's actually uh, part of what it means to be human. It's part of what it means to be an image bearer uh, of God, at the heart of so much of our joy and our satisfaction that we receive in life, whether in our vocations or, or whether it 's in our family lives, personal, uh, our personal lives or, or in our work and careers, so much of uh, the joy and satisfaction we get is when we witness our impacts happening in really positive ways. When we're, impact, we're having positive influence on our kids or on our parents or on our friends or, or in uh, whatever work that we take up. When that happens, there's this, there's this uh, great joy. But on the other side of that, there's also this um, so much of, the heart of uh, at the heart of our frustration and our pain and our, our boredom and our shame that we experience comes when we realize either we're not making a very big impact in our vocations or in our relationships... Or perhaps even worse, when we realize that the impact that we are having on people around us is wreaking havoc, that it's not a blessing, it's actually destructive on those who are uh, around us. And so, because we are human and because we uh, so much want to make an impact uh, in our world, we are constantly, all of us, uh, under this self assessment Are we making an impact in the world around us? It's why we ask all the time Does what I do really matter? It's why we ask in our relationships, are you listening to me? Do you, do you hear me? Do you even understand what I'm trying to say? Do you care what I have to say? And certainly we ask it about our churches. It's what you ask about your church here in Charlotte. It's what I'm asking constantly and my folks are asking about uh, our life in New York City and Brooklyn as well. Does what we do matter? Are we having an impact? Which brings us back to Jesus' words, it bears much fruit in verse 24. See, the authors of the Scripture, they were very aware. They had the same desires. They had the same longings as all uh, of you and I do as well. And so they knew that uh, that's why they're always using this agricultural imagery as we had in John uh, chapter 12, this, uh, this promise of bearing many seeds, of, of bearing much fruit. See, whether it's in the Old Testament or in the New, uh, the writers uh, of, of the Scriptures and Jesus himself, as he does here, he's always uh, uh, addressing this deep need that we carry with us, that we're actually making a difference in our world, that we're making a difference in God's kingdom and and in one another's lives. And so this morning, I want to look at this passage, and I want to explore together what it means for us to bear fruit. What does that that mean, and how can we be a people who actually do that? So let's let's jump into this passage and take a close look, and then we'll make uh, some application. So this passage that we read takes place uh, just after the triumphal entry on uh, Palm Sunday, where the crowds are all crying, Hosanna. They're gathering around. Jesus is making a name for himself, largely because he has just raised Lazarus from the dead. So clearly he's making an impact in the world. His ministry is, is beginning uh, to, uh, to, take, uh, to, to, to make waves. People are starting to take notice. So then in verses 20 and 21, we learn that there are these Greeks who went up to worship, and they, they wish to see Jesus. And so uh, here, uh, to call them Greeks is really just a shorthand for, for foreigners. They were non-Jewish people. They were attracted to Jesus. They hear the commotion that is going on. They want to see him. They want to meet with him. They give this great request. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. It seems like a no-brainer. It seems like an, uh, the obvious thing should, that should happen is that if you're trying to spread the news of of who Jesus is, it seems like diversifying the audience, uh, getting some foreigners in to meet with them, and hearing what Jesus has to say, and maybe even for for Jesus to teach them would be this very effective, productive strategy for the ministry of Jesus. This is a conversation that absolutely should happen. Jesus should be meeting with this group that wants to see him. Let let, uh, Jesus teach them and let the leaders sit so that, uh, so that they can interact with Jesus and they would be changed. But did you notice what happened? So the disciples don't just bring the, these, these uh, Greeks in to see Jesus. First Philip tells Andrew, then Andrew and Philip, they go tell Jesus. And Jesus never says, great, bring them to me. Yeah, let's do this. This sounds like a good meeting that we should have. He doesn't do that at all. He starts talking about seeds and plants, about life and death, about Uh, about servants and masters. And this is where we need to brace ourselves a little bit as we enter into this passage, because this is the time where Jesus must consider how he's going to make the greatest impact, how his ministry is going to reach the most people given the limited time that he now has on earth and what he is going uh, to do with all that he's been given. How does he want the world to see them? And the Greeks, obviously, like they want a conversation. Maybe they want to uh, be in front of Jesus so they can talk about philosophy or religious theory. Perhaps they want to sin under His teaching. Maybe they just want to see Him do some miracles so that they'll know He is the Son of God. He is who He says He is. But what Jesus does is so counterintuitive to the way that the world works. Because for Jesus, the work of impact and of bearing fruit involves death. The work of impact and bearing fruit, it involves death. And death is just not how you're going to gain a strong following. You know this. If, you, if you're at a party, if you're at a gathering, and you just start talking about death, you're going to be by yourself real quick, right? Even if you're at, uh, even if you're at a funeral or a reception where death is on everybody's mind, even then, if you start talking about death, people are just going to you know, move away and go wander and, and uh, talk to somebody else. But this is exactly what Jesus does here. Listen again to verse 23. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. See, since the very beginning of the Gospel of John, Jesus has been hinting that this is how God is going to save the world. This is the great rescue plan, but it's going to happen through death. And so here what Jesus is finally saying is that his death, will be like a seed falling into the ground. And it's going to look like a tragedy. It's going to look like the end of the story. It's going to look like complete defeat by sin and death that have wrecked havoc on this, on this world. Here's the supposed Savior of the world, and he's now buried in the ground. But what Jesus is telling them is that this is the way the world works, that when a seed goes into the ground and dies, new life always emerges. And so the death of Jesus won't ultimately, ultimately be a tragedy of death, it's going to be a triumph of hope, it's going to be a triumph of love, God's self-giving love that looks death in the face and defeats it. And this, uh, and this love is not just for a small group of people from a certain background or a certain region of the world, it's for the sake of the entire world. And see, I think the reason why Jesus doesn't meet with these uh, Greeks who so want just to We wish to see Jesus. The reason why he doesn't meet with them is because Jesus doesn't want them just to see him. Jesus wants them to follow him. He wants them to follow him. He doesn't want them just to engage in some sort of interesting conversation. Uh, He wants them to be drawn into life with him. And in order to do that, Jesus has to die. He has to die so that he now can bear fruit for the sake of the world. And, of course, he doesn't want just these Greeks to follow him. He wants us to follow him as well. Which is why he ends this passage on the surface what sounds like a warning, but really I want to suggest to you that it's an invitation. That whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there will my servant be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You see, Jesus is going to go this way alone. This is something Jesus can only, only do, standing against the powers of sin and death, bearing the fruit of life for the sake of the world. Only he can do that. But he is also setting the stage for the way we too will find life in him. By dying to ourselves, dying to our own agendas, knocking down our own claustrophobic little kingdoms, which we are so good at building and protecting with everything that we have, destroying all of that and finding our life in his far more beautiful kingdom. Jesus is saying to the disciples, you too must be ready to be planted in the ground. You too must be ready to die so that you can bear beautiful fruit in the world. So now we have to ask this question, what do we do with all this? How can we be the kind of people who bear this fruit, who bear the fruit in our lives that bring about the life and the beauty and the hope of the gospel, the very life of Jesus? How can we be a people that bear this kind of fruit? So let me suggest to you a couple of ways. First, you have to see the beauty of the garden that we are being called to, this agricultural I- imagery that Jesus keeps referring to. You have to see the beauty of Of the garden. The easiest class I took in college was organic gardening 101. I was a chemical engineering student, and uh, I had heard that I had a fine arts uh, uh, credit, and I was told, go take organic gardening. Everybody takes it. All the athletes take it. Everybody just go. It's an easy A. So I show up to this class, and I'm thinking, I'm just going to snooze through this thing, Uh, and and I'll take the quizzes and the tests and and get my one credit A. Well, it turns out the professor was this guy named Dr. James Brown, and he would stand on a stage, uh, not unlike this, in a a large auditorium, and it turns out this guy didn't care why you were there. He loved gardening. And so he would just talk passionately and wonderfully about gardening, and what would happen is all these college students who were not there because of the subject matter, they were there for the A, they would walk out the door on a Friday afternoon, and they'd just be like, where can we, I want to plant a garden." Well, what if we just got a pot and we got some potting soil? Like I just want to I want to see if some of these plants will grow in our apartment and on our on our stoop and like can we can we make all this happen? He was call, uh, causing us to fall in love with the garden. You have to see the beauty of the garden that Jesus is describing and that Jesus is calling you to. You have to see the beauty of it. You have to let the beauty of Jesus' death and his resurrection captivate you. The fact that Jesus is the one who first goes to the ground, the fact that he first faces death To be raised to life has to be the thing that captivates your imagination, your heart, your soul, and your mind, and and the thing that stirs your faith. So you always have to return to his garden, to return to to this imagery, the story of Jesus, which is what we do here when we worship together. And we have to cultivate these habits uh, that that bring us back to to seeing the beauty and the wonder of this garden. The next thing, first you see the beauty of the garden, but now sticking with this uh, gardening imagery You have to be willing to get dirty. You have to be willing to get dirty, and by that I mean to be planted in the ground. In other words, you have to find places in your life where you're giving your life away. And this is not easy. This is not going to come naturally to any of us. See, we live in a world, and our own hearts will testify to this reality as well, that we must do everything we can to build up and protect our own life. That we have to look out for ourselves, and if we don't look out for ourselves, no one else will. So the first thing we learn is self-protection, self-preservation. But these are other gardens. And they don't bring life because they don't involve death. But Jesus' invitation to lose our life in order to find it and in order to bear fruit is so different from our modern ideas of life and productivity and influence. All those apps and all those articles which I'm always drawn to uh, about productivity, they're all designed to remove obstacles in our paths, right? It's to, it's to find the, the path of least resistance so that you can be as productive and as happy as you can building your own kingdom, protecting your own little, little garden. But to bear fruit, to bring about life means that we're actually looking for those obstacles. We're looking for places where we can lay our lives down, looking for the places where sin and brokenness and pain have taken hold, where the places where the weeds have taken over the garden. And we say, look, this is where I'm going to plant my life. This is what I'm called to do. This is where I'm going to be. This is how we look at our life together in New York City, that this is where we are, we are meant to be. And so we are going to give our lives away for the very people in our, in our, in our lives, and, and you too. You give our lives away for the people in Charlotte, for the people in your own home, for your spouses, for your kids, for those who God is bringing, for your neighbors, and even for your enemies, so that the life of Christ will emerge. And look, I want you to know, once again, this is not easy. And just to press it home just a little bit more, this actually means that the very people that are causing you the uh, biggest stress, the most frustration, the places that scare you the most, that cause you the most pain, those are likely the people and the places that you are being called to give your life away to. The very places that you're trying to avoid those are the places likely where, where Jesus is calling you. Because Jesus is calling us to a different way. He's calling us to a far more beautiful life, and a more lovely garden. And so we can and we need to find ways to give our lives away. And if you start looking for them, you will certainly find them. Let me give you three real concrete ways that this can play itself out uh, in our lives. The ways that we can give our lives away. And they're, they're, On the surface, they're, they, they seem pretty simple. The first thing to do is start listening to people. The act of listening, the act of listening to your friends, the act of listening to one another, listening to your neighbors and hearing their concerns, this in a very small way is actually giving your life away because you actually then begin to have to listen to what other people are thinking to hear where the weeds have grown up in their own garden. And you have to listen and think about someone else's story and someone else's needs instead of first and foremost our own. That is a way of dying to self, is becoming a really good listener. Listener. The act of hospitality. Number two, the act of hospitality. Inviting people into your homes. Nothing is going to interrupt your life. Nothing is going to disrupt your agenda than by having people in your homes. You know this. It just, it, it just causes everything to stop. And yet, when we do this, when we share life or share a meal or open up an extra room, we are actually doing this. We are planning our lives in the ground so that new life will emerge. The act of hospitality is a great way to do this. The third thing, Prayer. Nothing is going to interrupt your agenda. Nothing is going to get, away, get in the way of your effectiveness throughout your day than stopping and praying. You can't answer email when you're praying, or you shouldn't. That would be, yeah, don't answer email when you're praying, right? You can't get a, stuff done on your agenda when you're praying. I mean, what's more unproductive than prayer? But nothing is going to bear fruit in your life, like taking up the daily practices of prayer. And letting that act, letting your relationship with God actually disrupt your day and slow you down. These are small ways that we can actually begin to get dirty and plant our lives in the ground and die to our own agendas. So we see the beauty of the garden. We are willing to get dirty. And lastly, we follow the path to the garden. See, the good news to all of this, if you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed by this call, is that you're not going into uncharted territories. You're actually going with Jesus. This is his promise, that Jesus is always with you, that he's actually the one taking you to the people and the places in your home, in your, in your jobs, and your careers and vocation, in your neighborhood, all throughout Charlotte, and inviting you to die to yourself and to your own agenda and your ways so that you can find life in him. See, this is what it means when he says, where I am, there will my servants be Also. If you want to experience the power and presence of Jesus in your life, if you want to know him more, then follow him down this path. Find ways to give your life away, and you will most certainly find him. You will experience his power. You will see and and, and bear witness to the promises of new life that he has made because he has promised to be there with us. And in the same way you're not going alone because you're following Jesus, You're also not called to go alone. It's not something you're called to do by yourself. This is the call of this church. This is the call of every church, that together, as the body of Christ, you would give your lives away for the sake of each other, for the sake of the people around you, for the sake of Charlotte, and for the sake of the world. And I want you to know now, for 12 years or or 13 years, however long it's been, I've watched you all do this. I've seen you. Take up the call to die to yourselves, so that lo- the life of Christ would emerge in you. I have countless stories and illustrations they were referred to. Rob and Matt referred to just a few of them, of how you have lived out this partnership uh, in Brooklyn and lived out this calling to die to yourself so that this new life would emerge. And I've watched you, as you've seen, and been captivated by the beauty of the death and resurrection of Jesus, so that you would come up and partner with us in Brooklyn. And I've seen you literally get dirty like in real dirt, with real paint, and in and, 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 and all sorts of homes. I've literally seen it happen, but spiritually as well. And I've seen you follow the path to the garden with Jesus and each other so that this fruit might emerge in Brooklyn. And I saw it again this summer uh, when we did summer Bible camp with the, uh, with the youth group that came up. Once again, it was a new church, new, you know, new. Everything's new. Everything's kind of difficult, doesn't quite fit because that's how things work in New York City. And it was a Friday afternoon, last day of summer Bible Camp. And all the kids are on a stage like this, and uh, the Stonebridge group uh, is in the back. And they've worked all week tirelessly to get these kids to remember the main themes. You know, when life is scary, God is good. When life is hard, God is good. These are important things to remember. Uh, and so. But now it's now's the time for the final, the finale, right? And so the kids are up there, and uh, some of them kind of remember the songs, and there are all these moves, uh, and in the back, and I'm standing in the back. I'm thinking about productivity, like what I have to do that afternoon, and what's next on my agenda. Is this how, long, how long is this going to be? It's also 95 degrees. There's no air conditioning, and we're in this tiny church. So this uh, the 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 final uh, the finale begins, and I'm in the back, and all of a sudden, all the Stonebridge crew just starts dancing and doing all the moves, and they're singing the songs, and they are into it. They are selling it. But they're not just doing it for themselves, they're doing it so that the kids look, will look at them and know and remember the moves. And so the kids are locked in on the teenagers, and I'm just kind of looking at this, I'm like, this is kind of amazing, and I have this moment of just like, this is, this is just incredible. And of course, you know, I, I, I don't know the moves, and so I'm just watching them do this for the sake of these kids. But do you know what was actually happening there? It dawned on me later that in that moment, as as the teenagers were dancing, what they were really doing was saying, follow me. They were telling my kids, follow me. This is the way to the garden. This is the way to the lovely place. This is the way to Jesus. You've got to follow us. And they were doing it with great hope and they were doing it with great joy. And there was no fear because there's no fear in this call to lay your life down. But that's what they were doing. They were saying, follow me. This is how you lay your life down. This is what your life is about. And this is the one to whom we always look. And they were pointing them to Jesus. And it was a gift. And I've been thinking about that Friday afternoon since it happened. And it has given me such hope for you as a church taking up this call to do this very thing here in Charlotte and around the world. And it has given me hope as I lead my church and to take up this very same call as we lay our lives down for the sake of our neighbors and for the sake of the city in Brooklyn. It has given given me such great hope. Listen, you've done this. I've watched you over the years, and I want to remind you that you have everything you need, everything you need to take up this call, to continue to give your lives away, to take up this mission. It will not be easy. You have to remember that everything in us moves us toward gardens of our own making, What we want is to feel safe. What we want are high fences and a garden that has controlled temperatures without any sort of weeds where we are in constant control. But that is not the garden that we are called to. We are called to follow Jesus who died so that we might have life and bear his life to the world around us. And good worship, uh, great facilities, solid preaching, great hospitality, great children's ministry, those are all really, really important things. And they are not to be overlooked. But you have to know this that nothing is more beautiful, nothing, nothing is more compelling and more powerful than a church that is willing to die to themselves so that the life of Jesus might spring forth in their community. And I've seen you do it year after year and time after time. And it has been a blessing. And nothing is going to reflect the power and the presence of Jesus than a church that is willing to live like this day after week, day after day, week after week, no matter what. My dear friends, we have everything we need to accomplish this. Not because we know perfectly what to do or we have the strength in and of ourselves. We have a Savior, Jesus, who takes us to that garden, who has made promises to us and is with us every step of the way. We have everything we need. My prayer for you, my prayer for us as we continue our partnership is that we would be these communities, we would be these churches that take up this call to have the courage and the faith and the hope to lay our lives down so that new life would emerge and we would bear much fruit. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for uh, this calling that you have given us. We thank you for the life that we have in you. And even as we consider your words, which seem so hard and so counterintuitive to our culture and even to our own hearts, that we would lose our life so that we would find it. God, I pray that by your spirit, you would give us the courage to be these kind, be this people, be these churches. Lord, we want to have impact. We want to see your fruit, your life spread throughout the world. So God, give us ways that we can lay our lives down for the sake of one another and for the sake of the world, that we would bear much fruit. We pray that you would do this all for your glory and in your name. Amen.